0: All right, my friends. Well, so glad you are here. If you want to grab your Bibles and you want to start making your way to the book of Romans, which is in the back third of your Bible, uh, you'll find the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll find the book of Acts, and then you will find the book of Romans. We are taking a whole entire year to go through the book of Romans because we think it's just utterly powerful. And so we wanted to give you some resources to also put in your hands. And so there are life group questions or small group questions online. If you have the Bible app on your phone, you can open that right now, open the Bible app and you click the three little lines on there and you type in Riverside and it will pull up uh, our church and you can follow along all the slides will be on there for you and it's even got a little place where you can type in notes or something that you disagreed with or whatever but you can type that in and then at the end you just email it to yourself and you can go back and look through it but our hope is kind of my promise from day 1 is if you will engage with us in the book of Romans I made you a really strong promise that there is no way that you cannot be marked differently. That by this time next year, you will be marked transformed if you will be willing and expose yourself to the book of Romans. It is that powerful. And so uh, please take advantage of those. And so last week around my house, we had, uh, uh, it was a really big day. It was a day of first. Ryan and Maggie, they started hip-hop class. Last Thursday night. I know. <laughs> Lord, help us. We have done everything, you guys. We have done horseback riding, gymnastics, ask not to come back to gymnastics, art class, two years of jiu-jitsu, choir, soccer, soccer, and as of last week, we started a hip-hop class. I'm like, kids, just do something. You're not going to be on your phones all of the time. But something really has funny has happened uh, over the last few years. Um, when did kids start getting participation awards? I grew up in a culture where it was like there were winners and losers. And if you won, good job. And if you lost, coach came over and he gave you the pep talk and you tried harder next week. And now listen, my girls, uh, Half the reason they do the sports is for the participation award at the end. So there's great value, and it teaches them skills. But we're living – I mean, we're we're rewarding a bunch of losers, if we're really honest, aren't we? (laughs) And so uh, it's really fun. It's really fun to watch the girls get excited about hip-hop class. But uh, if you've been with us the last four weeks, we have been going through Romans. And what Paul has been doing is he is getting uh, everybody on the team. Uh, he has been showing you the essential skills that you need to know to experience the Christian life. And so if you have been here, or if you've been tracking with us the last four weeks, you, we have been really centering and focusing on this idea of called justification by faith. And just real quickly, justification is that idea that on the cross, you were forgiven. That you are totally set free and declared innocent in God's sight. But justification also has another step to it. It's not that you have just been forgiven, but that the stain has been removed. Now, when God looks at you, He sees the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ taking up residency inside of you. And so now, when God looks at you, He declares you righteous in His sight. And we said that this was a gift, not something that we earned, but a gift that was received. By faith. And we said last week that faith is not just a general belief in God, because a lot of people have faith that way. We said that faith is actually believing in some specific things. We said that uh, faith is believing that God gives us the gift of salvation, that we receive that promise and trust in God's ability, and we don't trust in our own feebleness. And so if you have been tracking with us for the fa- fast past four weeks— you, today, you get your participation award. You get your participation award, and you are all winners this morning if you have tracked this, because you now have the life skills, um, or you get your certificate This Gospel 101. That is the foundation of the Christian understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, is that you have been declared right in God's sight at freely as a gift and you receive that gift through faith. And so now in chapter 5, Paul is going to take us on a little detour if you will. And now he's going to show you how this understanding should transform everything. Should transform everything. It gives you new eyes or a new lens that you now see the world through. You see the lens, the world through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the filter that we see the world, and it's the filter that we let everything into our life has to filter through that as well. And so this morning, what Paul is going to be addressing is that understanding, and he wants us to pay, pay close attention to how we walk that out, in particular, when we suffer. And so how well you know the gospel then is not just um, answers that you could answer on a test, but Paul is going to show us this morning how well you know the gospel is actually shown by the the condition of your heart, by your willingness to keep moving forward, to have endurance. As we, uh, as Paul will show us this morning, even will it, even when it's difficult. Martin Luther, one of the Protestant who helped launch the Protestant Reformation, said this understanding of justification by faith is the doctrine in which the church will either rise or it will fall. I'll take it a step further and tell you this morning, it's the doctrine that your spiritual life will rise and fall on. That everything in your spiritual life depends on your understanding of just what the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ has accomplished for you. It's the lens that we process it all through. And so we're going to, Go through the book of, or just five chapters. Our five chapters. Woo, we'd be here a long time. Five verses this morning in the book of Romans. So I'm going to invite you to stand, and we'll say the Shema together as we prepare our hearts to receive God's words. Let's say the Shema together. Shema Israel, Adonai Hinei, Adonai cop. Hero Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Love the Lord your God. Love all your heart with all your soul, and love your name. And love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. And so, God, we love you, God. We thank you for your word. We thank you how it is rich and it is alive, God. It's not something that just happened, but that it is still happening to this day. And, Father, we are ready to receive all that you have in store for us this morning. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. All right, brothers and sisters. Romans 5. We got five verses that we're going to go through this morning. And so let's start. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, okay, we're going to stop. Uh, right, this is a big key for us. Whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, it is like the summation of an argument. It is like everything that comes before it is going to be said right here in this next sentence. Therefore, Maggie, you are going to get a spanking, right? <laughs> therefore, Ryan... Give me your phone. You're, you're grounded for the week. Therefore, Christy, I'm going to go fishing this weekend, right? It is, it's like you're making this argument. And so everything up until that point, uh, Paul is going to be saying, all right, here we go. Therefore, now let's go, let's see what the therefore is about. Therefore, since you have been justified, here's that idea, justified through faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Now it says that we have peace. Now, this understanding of peace right here is not some emotional, um, let's stir up our heart, let's get real uh, worked up about it type of feeling. Um, And I'm not hating on feelings this morning, but maybe a little bit. What Paul is going to show us this morning, what I think is just critical for us, is that this is not just some feeling of peace that we have. That would be the peace of God not peace with God. But this reality that Paul talks to is about a relational, how we find ourselves situated relationally now. It's a new found reality for us. And a lot of people think that the primary point of religion or, or uh, following Jesus is to give us some sort of therapeutic feelings of either joy or therapeutic feelings of peace, or therapeutic feelings of just like, oh, I'm just so satisfied in my heart. Now, the problem with that is if that is your primary understanding, the conversation goes like that, like this. Now, John, you might find peace in your heart that way, but I found peace in my heart in a lot of different ways. I find peace in my heart when I'm with my kids, I found peace in my heart maybe when I'm doing yoga or when I'm out running or when I'm with my family, or enjoying a nice bottle of scotch, or whatever that might be. And do you see how that plays out? That feelings, I think, yes, are important, but the primary identity of us as as followers of Jesus is not based off of our feelings. It's based off of a reality, not just feelings. Here's the picture. Let's pretend that you are sick. You have a really bad headache, and you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, Good news, you're just dehydrated. Would you drink some more water? Or would you rather go to the doctor feeling great about things and the doctor says, oh, it's bad. We found a tumor and you have a couple of months to live. Now, which would you rather be true? You feel great or you don't feel good and it's really good news or you feel great and it's not great news. In that circumstance, feelings aren't that important. What's important is the reality that you have. You should never let your feelings dictate the reality of what God says about you. God has declared over you peace, that you have peace with God. So I have peace in in my heart is not based on my feelings. It's based on a reality, what God has accomplished on the work and the life of Jesus Christ. Where I get myself into the most trouble is when I start saying things like this. Oh, I don't just feel it right now. I don't, I don't feel close to God right now. I don't feel like he's listening to me. I don't feel close to him. I don't feel like he's there. I, don't, I can't. Who cares how you feel? <laughs> to be honest, who cares, right? There is a lens now that we have to process um, reality with, and that lens is the gospel. The life death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so anytime you start hearing me say, like, my feelings, my feelings, smack me around and say, John, why are you looking to your feelings for insurance rather than the Word of God? I don't know what else, I don't know how else to say it. Uh, Watchman Nee, I don't know who, if you know who this guy is, uh, he was uh, one of the founders of the early church movements in China, the house churches, and he had this brilliant picture of this, of what we're talking about, this idea of feelings. He said, if there are three people walking a very narrow wall, there's three different people. The first person is fact, and if fact is on the wall, fact faces forward. Right behind fact, we have faith. Now, faith looks at fact as fact looks forward. Don't get lost, all right? And the last one is feelings, and feelings look at faith, and faith looks at fact. Does that make sense? I know it's hard. Now, if faith, if everybody is looking forward, it's all good. But the moment my faith turns around and looks at my feelings, what's going to happen? Everybody goes down. Everybody goes down. How often do you and I get ourselves into some pretty serious trouble because we? turn around and we check and see how we're feeling about things rather than we look at fact of what jesus life death and resurrection has accomplished on the cross can we just come to this agreement maybe from this time this day forward that as a community that we will gently smack each other around that we will remind each other don't look inward for assurance everything that we do from this point on it's through the lens. It's the lens that we see the world through. It's through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says that you have peace with God. And this is not a um, ceasefire. This is a actual peace with God. God's not up there looking for you to make one more mistake and he's just going to let you have it. This is a God that has called it all off, that has declared you righteous in his sight, that he could know. He couldn't love you any more than he does at this moment, no matter how you stumbled in here this morning. That is peace with God. Let's keep going. Verse two says this, We have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast or we rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. Now, think of the word here uh, where it says by faith. We have gained access by faith. I want you to think of that as um, by favor. So in the first four chapters, Paul has been talking to us about how this grace transforms us. But here Paul has shifted that understanding of you have now gained access by faith. I want you to transform that into the word favor. That you and I now have this favored status with God. That that is a new reality that you and I get to enjoy all of the time. Everywhere you go, you have the favored status of God. You can tell, friends, the depths of somebody's journey with Jesus by how much this just stirs up in them. Because the truth is, if you walk around knowing that you have the favor of God resting on you, do you know what that does? I'm just glad to be his kid. I just belong to him no weapon formed against me, I am yours, I belong to you, my days are gonna be numbered and are gonna be good. Father, they are yours, I am your hands, there's nowhere I can go that you will forget about me because I am your favored child. And when you and I stand before God, we don't stand before God as the accused, we stand before God as the favored child. So I walk around my house and if I come in from a trip when I come in kind of grumpy and just crotchety, uh, you know what my girls do? They hide. They hide and they go hang out with their mama. Why? Because they can feel my heart towards them. My heart is uh, frustrated and agitated. But when I come in the house from a long trip, woo, dad's home. Come here, girl. You know what they do? They come a running because they know that my heart it's soft and it's tender and it's towards them. Now, this is gonna sting a little bit, but I think it's true. I wonder how many of us are not growing in our love for God because we don't have any real understanding of the love of God. Because when you are aware of the tenderness and the generalness goodness of God, you know what that produces in you? Oh, I'm yours. You go running. Dad walks in the house and you go running towards him. The scriptures say this over and over and over again. He's your dad. And I know that for so many of us in here, um, we grew up maybe with a less than an ideal picture of what dad looks like. Oftentimes, what we do is we tend to evaluate our dad through our Heavenly Father through the earthly lens of our Father. And what I believe Paul would encourage us to do is say, don't evaluate your Heavenly Father in light of your earthly father. Evaluate your earthly father in light of your Heavenly Father. It's the lens now that we process everything through. And this is a God that said, I know the number of hairs on your head. All the days are numbered in the book of life. I know you in your mother's room. Psalms 139 says, if you make, even if you make, even if you make your bed in hell, I'm not going to stand up here and lecture you. I'm coming to get you, right? This is a father whose heart longs for us. It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. It's the tenderness of God that draws us in. And when I turned my back on God, when I said, God, give me my inheritance now and I'm going to take off, you know what this father did? This prodigal father, he stood with arms wide open, ready to receive us when we came home. And when he got wind of us on the horizon, he rolled up his robe and he came running and he said, get out the fattened calf. It is time to party. Just a side note, how long does it take a calf to get fattened? Does that happen overnight? It takes a really long time. That means that God was preparing to celebrate me the moment I left. He was prepared to celebrate my return. Hey, he took off, get the calf fat because he's going to come home one day and we're going to party when he comes home. And that is really, really, really good, really good news. Um, so what does that do? What what should that do for us? I want to show you what that, what I think it talks about. Um, Uh, Let's go over to, it says this, uh, and we boast in the hope and of the glory of God. As we saw in the first couple chapters of Romans, this hope then is not just a general hope out there. It's the assurance that God is faithful to keep his promises. It is a hope that is rooted in the resurrection. That if everything from this day forward in your life is a mess, there's still something to hope for. And that hope is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I was studying for this week and I heard this pastor say something really, really great. And it was really encouraging. It says, there is nothing that a good resurrection cannot fix. What a, it was, what a powerful word for us that even, y'all, even if every day from this day forward is worse than today, there's nothing a good resurrection can't fix. Because the truth is, Someday, something in your life is going to go wrong. Our bodies are going to wear out. I've been, uh, I ran my first marathon when I was like 21 or two, and I've been running one every year since then. And you know what's happened? About 12 years ago, I got slower, and then I got Slower and slower and slower and slower, and now Jay beats me during the marathons, which is, <laughs> and so now Jay beats me, and I real and I realized, and I realized that this body is not going in the right direction anymore. Like it is gonna wear down, and um, it's just not designed that way. And so I want you to think about it everything that you hold in your hands is going to slip through your hands at one time. That nothing is designed to just hold on to forever. Everything in life is going to slip through your hands. And that's, and that's really real for a lot of us right now. Because maybe your parents are getting older. Maybe the marriage is not looking real great and you're not sure it's going to come back together. Maybe it is the phone call that came and things are not looking real great. What are you supposed to do with that? Does that mean you are left without hope? Anything to hope in? And Paul would emphatically say no, because we hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that the resurrection is a picture for us that one day God is going to restore all that is broken. And there is nothing that a good resurrection cannot do fix. And that, brothers and sisters, should produce in us this hope and this rejoicing inside of us. Now, when it talks about rejoicing, rejoicing is not the same thing as happiness. Happiness is this understanding that what you want to happen happens. That's in the word, happiness, happy, happiness, happiness. A lot of us get mixed up with this idea of of the Christian faith that we live for happiness and those things are so fleeting and so temporary because they're situationally uh, situated. But rejoicing is altogether different. Rejoicing is not based on your circumstances. Rejoicing is based on the work and the ministry and the life and death of Jesus Christ. And we can rejoice because of that. Joy is altogether different. Do you know what what the scriptures said about Jesus? Oftentimes we think that the Christian faith is about skipping through life with giggles and snuggling and if we experience pain or we experience hurt or something does not go right, we think something is wrong. Is God not paying attention? What is going on? But do you know what the scriptures say about Jesus? It says that he was a man of sorrows that he was familiar with our pain, that he was familiar with our suffering. And yet it says the joy of the Lord was his strength. Joy comes from knowing what God has promised is more, and his word is more secure than anything you could ever promise in this world. This presence, his presence is better than anything you could ever hope for or long for is the presence that steadies us. Verse three, let's keep going. It says this, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces endurance. Is Paul crazy here? One of my friends had a hard week this last week and we were reading this scripture and he's saying, are you kidding me? Am I really supposed to rejoice in my sufferings? Because that That's not really real, is it? And I think Paul might come back and he might say to us that no matter how great the suffering might be or how how great the pain that you're going through is, it produces something inside of you that is so much better than a pain-free life. It's not not that Christians are removed from pain. It's actually that we feel things much better deeper and greater. And I know that there's this, there's this, there's this thread in the Christian faith that says, I can't let things hurt me. I can't let my heart be broken. I'm so rooted in the word that nothing is going to faze me. That's not Christianity. That's Buddhism. Buddhism teaches you to be removed from your feelings, that you're stoic, that you don't feel anything. The life of a follower of Jesus is not that. It's you push into the pain. You feel things more. Why? Because we're called to love more. We love like Christ loved. And Christ's heart was broken. Do you remember the scriptures where his heart was broken for Lazarus, where it says he came to the tomb and he wept over it? A man of sorrows, familiar with our suffering. When Job lost his health, and he lost his family. When Job lost it all, do you know what Job did? <clears throat> Ripped his clothes, grabbed ashes, covered himself as ashes, shaved his head, threw a fit on the ground and in the dirt. And it says in all these things, Job did not sin. And I wonder how many of us might, might be tempted to say to Job, Job, you need to get yourself together. <laughs> you need to let go and let God You just love this world too much. And sometimes I think the most, it's ridiculous. Sometimes I think the most faithful response that we could ever do when someone is in pain or you're in suffering is to sit and to cry. To come alongside them and let it break your heart because it's it's breaking theirs. Christians feel pain more because they are called to love more. But we also know that the pain that we feel produces something inside of us of great worth and of great value and that is endurance the pastor and JD Greer says it this way go to the next slide endurance is the ability to keep going when you experience no other earthly benefits from your faith when nothing is working out when nothing is adding up when it gets Dark outside, when your finances are horrible, when everything is falling apart, when the diagnosis doesn't look good, it produces endurance in you to keep running, to keep going, to say, God, you're worth it. You are worth it. You are just worth it. I will run after you despite everything else. Corey Ten Boom, who many of you have probably heard about, was a Holocaust survivor. And listen to what she said. You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. Holy cow. Honestly, I don't know if I want to be able to say that. (laughs) That sounds really painful. And yet there is an intimacy with Jesus that I think comes with, he's all I have and it's a posture i think that us as followers of christians are supposed to walk with suffering produces something in us that that is invaluable did god cause it i believe it's a it's a strong no but god will not waste 1 ounce of your pain that he will use every he will squeeze every bit of goodness out of the pain even though he did not cause it it's like this when it's cold outside for like the two weeks a year, what, what 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 happens here? What do we do? Turn up the heat. Turn on. the We get the furnace cranking and we turn on the heat in the house. And what does that do? It warms everything up. Now, does the furnace? Does the cold wa- the cold weather cause the heat? No. It triggers us to turn on the furnace and to get it hot in the house. And I believe that same picture is true for our faith. When it's cold outside, it's, it's, it triggers the furnace of God's presence to come alive in your, in your life so that when it's as cold as it gets, the hotter God burns in your life. And it's more valuable and it's more precious than gold. Look at verse four, look at what it says. And this perseverance or this endurance builds character and character, hope. And this character that Paul is talking about is a character that is only found when you're, in, when you, when you're suffering and you keep going and you cling to Jesus. Um, listen to what Peter First, uh, Peter says. These have all come so that the proven genuous of your faith are greater worth than gold, which perishes even through, through the refined fire may result in praise, glory, and honor with Jesus Christ. In those days, the way that they would make gold pure is they would bring it to boiling point and it would burn up all of the impurities in the gold and what they would have left was just pure, 100% gold. And, and Peter is saying that's, the true, that's, that's true for our faith, is that when we are suffering, when we're in pain, what happens is the furnace comes on and, and all of those impurities in our life slowly get burned away. All those areas of my life where I'm clinging on to things that were never designed to satisfy me get washed away. Here's here's a hard question. Ask anybody that has experienced grief. I mean, deep-seated grief. You ask them about the Lord then. they will tell you that there is a steadiness that they can walk through. There's a hope and a reality that is precious to them because of the pain. Not that God caused it, not that God wanted it, but there is a steadiness inside of them. It's more valuable than gold. Verse 5, let's finish it. It says this. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into the hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And hope does not put us to shame. This is the hope that Paul has been talking about the last couple of of chapters, that hope and that God is faithful to keep His promises, that God is faithful in His abilities. And what does that give inside of us when we hope? Because God's love has been poured out to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the first mention of the Holy Spirit in all of the book of Romans. The first mention. And what is the job of the Holy Spirit in the book of Romans? What does it say? It says it pours out God's love upon us. What is the job of the Holy Spirit? To pour out God's love upon us. It's to make us aware of the reality that we get to walk in, right? That despite how we're feeling, that God's love will be poured out upon us. This is what the role of the Holy Spirit is and what Paul addresses in chapter 5. It makes us aware that that when we're suffering and we're in pain, that God will produce something inside of us that is that is beautiful, that makes us more aware of His presence. It might look like this. Maggie, come here, girlfriend. Come on. Okay, you want to say anything? Okay, so was Maggie any less my daughter sitting in the back of the room? No, but what is the, what is the new reality that she experiences? Dad's got her, dad's holding her. She doesn't feel good today either. That dad, that she feels dad's embrace. This is what Paul's talking about. This is the job of the Holy Spirit. It's to make you aware that when you're in pain or when you're suffering or you're hurt, it gives you the endurance to be scooped up with dad. It gives you this right here. What a beautiful picture that Paul gives us. This is what the Holy Spirit does for us. Just snuggles. You get scooped up in dad's arms. And he holds you and he loves you. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. Go back to mama. Chapter five is beautiful. You have peace with God because it's true. It's not based off your feelings, that you are favored, that you walk in this favored status with God. That when you walk through pain, you walk through hurt, God is gonna produce something inside of you that is more valuable than gold. And what happens, the furnace gets kicked on the Holy Spirit gets poured out and you know what happens? You get scooped up. God holds you and walks you right through it. This morning we get to practice something or we get to enjoy something ancient and beautiful. We get to ah, share communion together this morning. What a powerful, powerful reminder that in suffering produces something of great value. That as Christ went to the cross on our behalf, it produced for us something that can never be earned. Hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Friends, I know that, please, let, let's not pretend that, that all of us don't come in here with some bruises and with some insecurities. And maybe there's some of us that are limping pretty good this morning. What would it look like for us this morning as we took communion together to invite God to remind us, God, I just, there's nothing a good resurrection won't fix. God, producing me endurance to keep going when nothing in my life is telling me it's true? What would it look like for you to invite the Holy Spirit to come inside of you just to scoop you right up and to make you more aware of the presence of the love of God in this season?